Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Business podcast, where we provide tools, strategies, and solutions for the entrepreneur and leaders. This is Dr. Carmichael Burton. Today, our guest is Minda Hartz, the author of the book, The Memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. In this candid, frank, heartfelt conversation, Minda and I discuss microaggressions, systematic racism, and outright discrimination. Minda provides tools, strategies, and techniques to help women of color secure a seat at the table and move their career forward. We hope you enjoy this episode. This book, The Memo, I Tell You, What Women of Color Needs to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table, has been so helpful for me as a Black woman navigating through corporate America. It's been my Bible and my playbook. So we're going to have girl talk. We're going to go in. We're going to dig deep. And I am so glad to have her here. Minda, welcome to the podcast, girlfriend. How you doing? Thank you, Dr. Burton. I'm so excited to be here with you. And, you know, just thank you for all your support with the memo. I, I truly appreciate it. My pleasure. I had the pleasure of meeting you, I want to say, about two years ago in Atlanta. Um, I forgot where we were. You had just released the book. You were on a panel. And I remember I was so excited to meet you. And when I met you, I was like, she's so small, but powerful, <laughs> right? Big things come in small packages. So that just really confirmed to me, you know, the perceptions that we have of people when we see them, we can't get caught up on that because your story is amazing and dynamic. And so I'm glad you're here and we're just going to inspire so many women as we have this conversation. So let's talk about the birth of the book, right? I read the book. Ladies, I advise you to buy it. It stays on my nightstand. It is really my Bible as I navigate through my career. And so in the book, Minda talks about the death of Trayvon Martin that triggered the book. So walk us through how you knew you had to write this book to make a difference. I'm glad that you asked that question because I, I think about Trayvon and I think about, you know, Breonna Taylor and um, a host of other people that um, have been killed due to uh, systemic racism. And in that time period in my life, Dr. Burton, I was thinking, wow, okay, Black lives are mattering out in the streets, but do they matter in the workplace? And I started really to investigate and interrogate what that really meant um, for me as a Black woman in the workplace. It's one thing to say it, but what does it look like on the About Us pages, what does it look like in leadership and management? And Toni Morrison said, write the book you want to read. And I realized that of all the career books I had read and business books, they weren't talking about me. They were talking about women, which meant skewed toward, you know, the experiences of white women, but they weren't talking about what it's like to be one of the only or one of few. And so for me, I just started to really think about that. And I was waiting on somebody else to write the book. And then, um, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't hold on to it any, any longer. I had to let it out. Yeah. And, and we are so glad you did that you birthed it, that your vision just came to light. So what were you, what were you thinking you wanted to accomplish with the book? You know, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to accomplish initially, because I think sometimes as women, as black women, we say, well, maybe I'm not the expert, right? I don't have 20 plus years of corporate experience. Am I really the person that should be talking about this? And sometimes the stories that we tell ourselves can be the most harmful. Um, and I had to reframe it and say, hey, I'm, a, I'm an expert in my experience. 
right? I've been a black woman my entire life. And so this has been, been my story. This has been my experience. And so I just realized uh, after a really tumultuous time as being always the only black woman in the room that I had settled into microaggressions. I had settled into bias. I started to tell myself that this is just how it's going to be for you, Minda. This is what happens when you're a black woman in the workplace. And I had settled into that. I accepted that. And then eventually um, I thought about the quote that Audre Lorde said, beware of feeling you're not good enough to deserve it. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Mm -hmm. I deserve I deserve equity. I deserve dignity. I deserve respect. And maybe there's, there's other black women and women of color that feel that they need that too. And so for me, it really was writing a love letter saying, Hey, I know that you may be experiencing these things, but there is hope. Uh, Maybe it's a different table. Maybe it's building your own, but let's talk about what it's like Mm -hmm. for us and, and see how we can push this uh, needle a a bit more. So we make the Mm -hmm. workplace better than we found it. Love that. Tell us about, you know, this word has become a big word as of late, microaggressions. Tell us about, one, define what that means. What have been some of your experiences with them in the workplace? And how'd you get over it? Yeah, you know, so now that we we talk about it, when when maybe... I might be dating myself here, but when I started in the workplace, we didn't have the word microaggression. Nope, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're like, uh, it was questioning, is this racism? Is it not? That's I don't right. know. Uh, That's right. All of this, all of this stuff. And so th- that microaggression now is that those racial slights, those feelings that make you feel othered, right? So for example, my first manager happened to be a white man and he saw that I had burnt orange fingernail polish on and he said, you people love your bright colors. And he joked around for 15 minutes about how black people like bright colors. That is a racial aggression, right? That is toxic. That is not appropriate. Mm -hmm. Uh, but But it's those things that many of us experience each and every day. And oftentimes we don't feel like we can even say anything because we'll be met with opposition, um, or, you know, met with dismissal. And so when you're, demonstrate when you're shown that in the workplace every day that your experiences your feelings don't matter eventually you start to believe that right that's so I, I think it's very important that we talk about these racial um assaults in the workplace because they're just as insidious as any other form of harassment in the workplace and and it should not be tolerated and it and it shouldn't just be black and brown women or anybody on the margins that feels like they're experiencing this it should be not tolerated in the workplace by by any stretch and by anyone. And I think we have to talk about those things because they're happening, even in these virtual environments, they're happening. That's right. That's right. That's right. How did you respond to that? <laughs> well, at the time, I didn't respond at all because I was scared, right? I didn't think I could say anything um, because I had been shown that when I did try to say something Oh, Minda, you took it the wrong way. Oh, you mm. should have thicker skin. I was just playing. And what I found, Dr. Burton, is that two things can be true at the same time. You might not have intended harm, but it can still cause harm. Mm-hmm. And I had to give myself permission to be able to address those situations later in my career uh, in a way that centered me and not always centered the dominant majority. And that takes courage, right? Um, and I think that we first have to acknowledge, be willing to acknowledge that this type of behavior, uh, this type of feeling is not okay. And we shouldn't have to experience it at all. And so we have to hold 
people accountable and let them know what good looks like to us. We can't, the part of the equation we can control is how we express that to someone that's not okay with us. And hopefully they're courageous enough to listen and hear us out, right? But if they don't, at least we created that boundary to let them know what good looks like for us. That's right. That's right. Speak up for yourself and be courageous. So let's talk to the Black women out there. You know, we as Black women, we have a love-hate relationship with our hair, right? (laughs) With our nail color. You know, everything that makes us unique and beautiful. So talk to Black women. How should we show up in corporate America? Is, Is there a good look? Is there a bad look? How should we show up? Yeah, I love that question because I think we've all been conditioned to this idea of what professionalism looks like. And I think if you're definitely from a certain generation, you know, you've been told that, you know, dress to impress, dress for the role you Mm -hmm. want, you know, wear your hair straight, (laughs) you know, all of those things. And I think that, again, two things can be true. I think if you're going into an environment and you see the way that the culture is, um, you may decide, okay, well, this type of environment is not conducive to how I want to show up in the workplace and you have that decision to make. But what I do think is important for Black women going forward is to ask yourself, who would you be if you stopped seeing yourself through the eyes of someone else, right? If you stopped Mm. caring about how someone saw your hair, what nail color you wore, um, who would you be? Who do you need to be in this moment right now so your future self can thank you? And that's what I hope Black women will think about when they think about their hair, when they think about their nail color, when they think about, you know, how they identify or whatever the case may be. I, you know, centering yourself. And if you're in an equitable environment, they will adjust. They will they will adjust to you and they will celebrate you, not tolerate you. And so I think that for so long, we've been walking on eggshells trying to accommodate everyone else. And I think we have to remind ourselves that we are the asset and um, and we have to be comfortable with how we're showing up. And so give yourself permission to figure out what that looks like and how that feels for you. That's right. I love, I love the way you said that. Who would we be if we looked at ourselves without that, right? We are still valuable, Mm -hmm. smart, articulate, um, adding value to the conversation as well. Um, I really like the concept of securing a seat at the table. What does that mean? Yeah, I think we we often talk about tables and chairs a lot, right? And in my and for me, it's so much bigger than that. It's about ownership. It's about legacy. Anybody can have a seat at the table, but it's what you do with that seat that counts. When you sit down in that, um, are you making decisions that are going to be benefit the next generation of women, women of color, black women that take the seat next to you or take your seat when you advance somewhere else? So I think we have to think about it to make those. You know, I in my office, Dr. Burton, I have a picture of Shirley Chisholm and I have a picture of Harriet Tubman um, on another wall. And I think, wow, I'm a direct beneficiary of the courage of these women. What am I going to leave the next generation? What are they going to be a beneficiary of my courage or my caution? Right. And that's what securing a seat is. Okay, (laughs) making sure you leave something for the next generation. And it's not just about us. It's bigger than than us. It's about those coming behind us. That's right. Oh, Minda, girl, I'm over here jumping up and down. So Denure, I hope I'm not skewing the sound, but you <laughs> are really powerful. Courage or caution. And I want to talk about that because as a black woman in corporate America, I have had seats at the table where 
my influence could have made or break a decision. And to be quite honestly and transparent and authentic in the past, I was afraid to speak up. I would agree. I would go with consensus. I didn't challenge the status quo because I was scared. Talk about the obligation that we have when we have a seat at the table to make the difference and to use the influence for equitable outcomes and for fair outcomes and for outcomes for people that look like us. Well, first off, I appreciate you being honest and candid about that because I think we've all sat where you sat, right? And said, mm-hmm. you know what, hey, I'm just, I'm, ha- I'm happy to be here, right? I'm not going to rock the boat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's and, right. And I would say now, knowing what we all know now is that being happy to be here or grateful to be here is not on the job description. Like they hired mm-hmm. us to to be in the room and to, and it's our responsibility to make sure that if, if we are the only ones in that room that could talk about these certain um, perspectives, then we have to do it because if we don't do it, who's going to do it. Right. And then we have the lever to be able to invite more people that look like us in the room. So we're not by ourselves. And so, again, I think that we have to think about, do we want to be courageous or do we want to continue to operate in a cautious, in a fear lane? Because um, the the definition of courage is the ability to do something that frightens one. So mm-hmm. we have to lean into our courage and push aside our caution because so many more people benefit when we're courageous. And, and again, even when I'm scared, Dr. Burton, I think about, okay, who's going to benefit if I'm scared? Not right. as many people, right? But if That's I right. say the thing that needs to be said and I always joke around with, um, you know, my friends, it's not what you said, it's how you say it. And so can I, can I articulate what needs to be said in this moment um, so that it lands the way I need it to, right? And so when I think about the reframing, I I realize that if I'm not going to do it, then I need to get out of the chair so that somebody else can do it, right? (laughs) That's right. Let's stop taking up space, right? Because that's not, that taking up space isn't getting us to any equitable solutions, that's right. That's right. That, oh, my goodness. That's powerful. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. And as black women, we have to use the right words, the right framing, the right tone. So we won't come across as the angry black woman. I just get so tired of hearing that. Right. Mm-hmm. How do you challenge something? If you could give you know our listeners an example of how do you challenge something professionally with the right words? with candor, right? Um, and not have a stereotype follow that. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I think to your point, as Black women in particular, we're very, we're always walking on eggshells, right? Wondering, okay, is what I'm going to say going to be that angry Black woman? Or is that what's going to be um, con- con- conveyed or whatever have you? And I think that it goes back to who could we be if we stop seeing ourselves through the eyes of someone else? Now, we have to have courageous conversations. We have to learn how to have difficult conversations. But I think this is where us as women building relationships, building our network inside the workplace. So maybe we're not the person to deliver that message, but maybe one of our sponsors or our allies could also be the person that delivers this message. And so I think that sometimes as black women, we think that we have to do it all on our own, right? So leveraging our network to also, um, and our colleagues to, to push the envelope as well. But the other thing is, Brene Brown says clarity is kindness. And mm-hmm. I think we have to be very clear about what it is we need out of the workplace, because how will they know, right? And again, the part of the equation we can solve is 
what we do and what we say. And I used to tell myself, oh, I don't have a voice. I don't have a voice, but we all have a voice. We just have to decide how we want to use it. And I ask myself two questions when I'm about to talk about something that I think might, might rattle the table or something like that. I said, am I conveying this in a way that gets us to a solution, a resolution, mm -hmm. or is what I'm about to say going to create more strife? And I leverage those two. Um, and if I go down the path of, um, is it going to get to a resolution? Then I also offer that as a solution. So I'm basing what I need to say in fact and offering a solution when I put it out there on the table. So it's not just, oh, I don't like something, right? But I give it, I root it in, in fact, because I find that so many more people, it's just like any kind of communication, you have to leverage that buy-in. And I think that as women of color, as Black women, as we remind ourselves how powerful we are, we lest we think about how it lands on someone else, as long as we keep our integrity intact, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. Rooted in fact, and you're providing a solution. You know, I really like when you said sometimes the things we want to say um, can be better received by someone else. So in my corporate career, you know, one of my sponsors was a white woman. And she was so um, intentional with advocating for me where she would say, Kermitra, let me go with this meeting to you, because if I say it, it will be received differently. And for a long time, I was offended by that because I'm thinking, what do you mean if you say it? I mean, <laughs> I can articulate. I'm smart. I did the work. But I, I, I learned to understood what she meant as years really, really progressed in my career and what it meant to have a sponsor in the room. And you talk about white women and how white women need to be allies of black, talented women and that they shouldn't get any more passes. Right. So let's talk about. What can our white women, sister friends, leaders do to promote good black talent in the workplace? Yes, I, I love this question. And I think there's so much opportunity for us to close this um, bridge a gap between white women and, and black women, women of color, uh, because, yes, women in the workplace have a lot of a lot of. Uh, a lot of ground to still cover. I, I get that. But many white women are closer to proximity of power than black women are. And so I would love to mm -hmm. see them to first acknowledge that actually, yeah, I, I make more money than most black women, right? On the uh, When we look at the wage gap, um, I'm in more leadership positions. I'm on more board seats. And so how can they leverage their power, their influence to help bring more black women along with them? So I think it first starts with realizing that they do have proximity to power closer than we do. And then leveraging that, and that's building relationships with black women, right? It's hard to show mm -hmm. up for people that you don't know. And so right. as many people, as many white women that often say, I'm an ally, I'm an ally. But what I would ask you to consider is ask yourself this question. When was the last time you demonstrated allyship to a black woman in the workplace? Mm -hmm. If you can't, nail that down, then you need to rethink what your allyship has looked like and shift it into action, right? And so allyship might look like saying a Black woman's name in a room that you're not in, offering, um, you know, to provide support for them in various ways. It might even be when you're in a meeting and you see that microaggression happening, you step in or after the meeting, you address that person. So there's so many ways that activating our allyship can look like, but I would say doing nothing and just calling ourselves an ally is not going to move the needle. And so it's really going right. to take that intentionality. 
That's right. That's right. I like that you gave us examples of that. Um, with that, how have white audiences reacted to your call to action of them? How have white women responded to that? You know, I would say pretty well. <laughs> I wasn't That's sure good. what it would be initially, but I think with all of the conversation around race and the workplace, I've seen many of them learn to be courageous listeners, mm -hmm. right? And realize that, okay, maybe I didn't intentionally cause these problems, but I haven't helped solve them, right? And mm -hmm. so in order for me to do that, I need to be educating myself in order to know how to activate. And so I, I'm so happy that so many white men and women are reading the memo and finding ways that they can be better managers, better colleagues, better um, humanitarians. Mm -hmm. They're leaning in for the cause. And I, I like that too. I've seen change. I will tell you when the the unfortunate George Floyd case happened, um, I think it was a good thing that we were not in the workplace physically because I feel mm -hmm. like there would have been tension, right? Yeah. I know I would have probably come to work, you know, you know, with an attitude, emotional, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. just to be, you know, open and transparent. But I'm glad that we had a chance to work from home, sit back and think about it. And I actually had a few white friends to reach out to me to say, how are you feeling? And I really appreciated that because it said to me, they had a level of, of understanding that they wanted to have an empathy, right? But mm -hmm. it doesn't just stop there. What can corporations do to dispel microaggressions, privilege, and racism? Well, systemic racism is an issue, right? Doesn't mean that everyone's racist, but there are systems that um, have held certain groups back. So acknowledging mm -hmm. that in the workplace, I think is very important. The other part that I would like to see is continue with the intentionality. So now that companies have made declarations, they've said that this is important. Now, how are you demonstrating that, right? So mm -hmm. what, do things look different than they did when you said it last year? Does the About Us, does the leadership page look any different than when you said Black Lives Mattered a year ago? And if it doesn't, um, let's make sure we're activating, right? Let's put in put things in place. But the other thing that I think is most important is managerial training, Dr. Burton, because I feel mm -hmm. like a lot of the, the culture, the toxicity in the workplace is because managers are not creating psychologically safe environments for everyone on their team. And so I do think that companies' leadership should really invest in making sure that their leaders are equipped to manage diverse talent in the 21st century and beyond. Mm -hmm. Is that something you can provide corporations training for, for those to create safe environments? Yes. Yeah, so that's something uh, that I work a lot with companies on managerial training because um, we don't, we can't let managers opt into equity. This is mandatory. That's right. It's a competency to me. Um, I think any Agreed. leader, any leader should have that competency. It is not something that you just go, Oh, really? Right. I think it's a part of your DNA in being a good leader. So any corporations you're out there, you're looking for any type of microaggression training. Uh, Minda Hartz is it. She has lived it. She has written a book about it. She has data, um, statistics and facts around it. So please engage her as you see fit. Um, I tell you, your book has caused I hope it has caused an awakening for women of color. And when I just think about how women of color are stepping into their level of confidence, right? You know, what can we learn? We've got a black woman that is one breath away of being the president of the United States. That blows mm -hmm. my mind, right? <laughs> she yep. is one breath away from being the president. And so 
what are some of the leadership lessons that we as women of color can learn from my, from Madam Vice President Kamala Harris? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. And I think the one thing is to constantly remind ourselves that we are the evidence. Uh, Madam Vice President Kamala Harris, she is the evidence. So when we say, oh, we can't get to the highest ranks, we can't do this, we are the evidence. We have already defied status quo, <laughs> you know, okay. and we just have to remind ourselves um, that we can no longer settle for less. We can't settle for mediocrity. We can't settle for average and we can't settle for just enough that we only should be accepting um, the perfect will um, of our creator for our lives. And so I think that we put in the work um, and we just have to remind ourselves that we belong in every room we enter, but maybe not, maybe that room doesn't deserve to have us. And so give yourself permission to find the right spaces and places again that celebrate you and don't tolerate you. And I think that we just have to keep reminding how far we've come and how far we, how far we get to still go. Because again, the next generation will inherit all of this good work that we've put in. Mm -hmm. So my black women, women of color, Vice President Kamala is the evidence of excellence, <laughs> of hard work, of, of getting a seat at the table that you deserve. Step into it. Step mm -hmm. into it and know that success leaves clues, right? There have women that have come before us that have done this. Study them, read about them, get a mentor, get an advocate to really, really help you build your confidence. And my favorite word is your tribe, right? Your crew, mm -hmm. your posse, whatever you want to call it. And surround yourself with positive people that can help you navigate that. So what's next for Minda? You've written this. I tell you, this book, the memo, I said, is my Bible. What's next for you? Yeah, so my next book, Right Within How to Heal from Racial Trauma in the Workplace, is out October 5th. It's on pre-order right now. It's I call it the big sister to the memo because regardless of if certain companies uh, do what they're supposed to or not, we still have the ability to be right within and heal and make sure mm -hmm. that we're living our best lives inside the workplace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tell you, that, that corporate America, and you know it, that struggle, that stress, is real, mm -hmm. right? I tell you, I've been in so many situations where I second guess myself and I would go, you know, wow, really? But you got to know that you know that you know that you know you are confident, you are ready for the job and you're the right person and don't allow anybody to skew you from your confidence. I had one, one guy that used to mentor me. He said, Kermitria, you're not crazy. They are. So <laughs> don't you allow you know, any of those situations to get in your head and for you to rethink your level of confidence or your ability to complete the job. So we look forward to your second book. I love that. Even if you're not in the workplace, we have to heal within to be great leaders, whether we're entrepreneurs, wives, mothers, friends, we have to do the work. I'm so excited for your second book to come out. This has been um, a powerful conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Please follow Minda on all the social media platforms. They will be in the podcast um, description once you click on it. Um, but I always like to close on really allowing my listeners to get to know the guest. And so we're going to go into a few of my rapid fire questions. So if you're ready, let's do it. Let's do it. I define success as. I define success as by my own terms. Uh, I no longer live by anybody else's definition. Mm -hmm. By my own terms. A morning person or a night owl? I'm a night owl. <laughs> so am I. So am I. Oh, 
so am I. I can totally relate <laughs> to that. What's your favorite movie? So it's a it's a tie. Um, I love Beaches and Scarface. I know they're drastically different, but <laughs> those are my. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they are. Look, be Beaches is that tearjerker, and that's and Scarface is like gangster, right? Gangster yeah, mode. Yeah. So you're right. That, that's me. So, that's me. Yeah. Okay, I, I got both sides warring within. <laughs> I was going to say that just speaks to, to your versatility as a person. I love yeah. that. I love that. Um, in five years, I hope to. In five years, I hope to be writing uh, for television, putting more of our stories out into a larger platforms. Love that. Love that. What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were growing up? I wanted to be a dentist. That was something that I wanted to be. <laughs> really? Yeah. And what struck you about that? What made you want to lean to that? You know, I always loved seeing just beautiful smiles. And I thought, wow, there's somebody who helps people get to that, right? <laughs> and and um, I, I wanted to be that person. And then I realized that I was not as good at, at science and chemistry as you needed to be to get to those smiles. So I was like, okay, this is not my ministry, but I still appreciate a good smile. <laughs> I love that. She wanted to be the magic behind the smile. And you have a beautiful smile, by the way. I've, I've seen you smile. I follow you on social media. She has a, a, a an adorable dog named Boston. My listeners out there know that I'm a dog mom, too. So if you're a dog mom, just know that we are in this together. And this has been yes. an amazing, powerful story. Ladies, get the book, The Memo. You will not be sorry. It will give you stories. It will make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It may even make you say a few curse words because you will be able to relate. <laughs> but at the end, Minda is providing strategies and solutions to help you overcome. You're not in this alone. So get the book, the memo. Please read the book. Um, follow Minda on all social medias and get ready for her next book right within. This has been a pure joy. I've been waiting so long for this. This book has saved my life. I just want you to know that. I, I think I thanked you enough, but it really has saved my life as I've really navigated my corporate career. And girlfriend, keep it going. I am so Thanks proud of you. you. Keep telling our stories, keep uplifting us, and keep giving us the solutions. We need it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I really hope you took something away from today's episode. If you have questions, feel free to reach out to me or my guest on our socials which are linked in the episode description. And again, if you like what you heard, subscribe, leave a rating, and share it with your network. Thank you for listening in, and remember, mind your business.